G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 9 of This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 9, we're focusing on one question. What is it that makes a startup successful? Is it a great idea, a great team, great customers, or something else altogether? This is an important question for startups, a fundamental question. And on this series, we're looking for answers. We'll talk to people who have been successful and ask them how it happened. We'll talk to startups on the road to success and ask them how they plan to get there. And in this, the first news special of Series 9, we'll take a look at the new post-pandemic landscape for startups, ask what's changed, and what startups need to do to thrive in this world. All the news that startups need on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. Go to squarespace.com twista for a free trial. Twista is also sponsored by Odoo, a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Go to odoo.com twista to check it out. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by user testing. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed business decisions at scale. Twista's production partner for Series 9 is UTS Startups, where they're equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build a foundation for a successful career. To learn more about the UTS Startups program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. A lot has happened in the nearly a year since our last Twista news special. We've had a pandemic. We're in an economic recovery. And in fact, it may be that we're heading into something like the Roaring Twenties. So to help us understand the new operating environment for Australia's startups, we've invited back two of our most perceptive guests. Julie Trell is the Australia country lead for CEO and describes herself as the human API, utilizing her network to empower startups, catalyzing their growth and their development. Julie's also the founder and chief play officer at Playful Purpose. Welcome to Series 9, Julie. So what does a chief play officer do? Thank you, Mark, for having me. It's great to be back. So I've always had fun with my titles, which I hope describes what I do, and it also makes for entertaining cocktail conversation. A chief play officer uses the concept of play to get the best out of leaders, employees, your friends, your family. And it reminds people that play is serious business, that you don't need expensive electronics or products to do it. 
As the Swiss psychologist Jean Piaget, who is known for his work on child development, says, play is the answer to how anything new comes about. Uh, And I am a huge fan of Piaget. It's really lovely to have you quote him. All right. And joining Julie is Main Sequence Ventures general partner, Rescue Mike Nichols. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, mate. How are you going? Hey, Julie. Uh, Good to see you both. Um, Mate, I just have to say, congratulations. Nine episodes. That's fantastic. It feels like you've been going forever. Well, it, I, in internet years, yeah. nine years is Indeed. is absolutely forever. And I mean, I think we we might have been the first podcast to do startups in Australia. Now there's lots of them. I mean, Ian Gardner has the great, you know, open the pod bay doors, and there's the a whole bunch of different ones, and so everyone can get what they want from them. But I'm really happy that I have both a stable of really smart people like the two of you, but also all of the new startups that are constantly coming up. And we're going to do our best to reach out to a lot of them this year to find the stories about what's happening now in this post-pandemic world. And this is really where I wanted to start. So how have things changed. Julie, there's this sense now, everyone I'm talking to is, oh my God, things are back with a roar. Everyone is really busy. How are things changed now in this post-pandemic? And Australia got here a little little earlier than everyone else. How are things changed and how are they the same? Well, there's the physical and visible things that have changed. So many people are working from home and preferring it. So many people now want to work from home. They want to change their their commute. And so that's changed. So the whole office environment is changing and the home, the work life and people are even moving further away from the CBDs. The invisible side of things that have changed, that have changed, are changing is what you can't see inside of people, the depression, frustration, a different connection to coworkers, that validation and accountability for work comes in different forms. So you're not getting those physical things. So it's really important that people need to be different kinds of leaders, more resilient, caring, listening more critically, and even with curiosity. And this is where a lot of the play and what I like to call the other AI, which is applied improv, using these kind of things in, to make the world, to make the workplace better. And the speed of information, the other, the f- other thing that has changed is the speed of inf- innovation and transformation has changed. The urgency in which we needed to pivot happened Overnight, literally overnight. So, you know, as they say, necessity is the mother of all invention. And, you know, here's a pandemic, figure it out. And one of the things that I'm now stressing in my practice as a futurist is big companies are coming to me and asking me, you know, what's happening now is that they really do need a different management style. Because when you're working with people who are mostly remote or largely remote, they need a connection that you're pointing at. They absolutely, and that. That connection was always sort of just assumed because you were in the office together. You were working side by side. And when we don't have that anymore, all of a sudden, all of this AI becomes more important than ever. All right, Mike, how do startups now need to think differently in the post-pandemic landscape? Look, I think that it depends. I guess it's a short answer. It depends on whether you're hardware, software, biotech, medtech. Um, each of those have got their own challenges, possibly their own advantages as well. Um, I think from a, uh, some of the, the commentary we had earlier, that from a capital raising perspective, um, 12 months ago, we didn't know that anybody would be raising capital. We thought that the markets would be completely blown away 
But what we've seen with the massive stimulus packages across all of the the developed uh, nations, um, we've seen this massive amount of cash flow into people's bank accounts, but we've also seen that blow up or should I say inflate the value of public equities, we're seeing interest rates drop enormously. And as a result, there's more private money looking to place deals and looking to get into earlier stage companies. So there probably hasn't been a better time to raise capital, in my view. Um, There's more funds here in Australia, I think, than there's ever been. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good time if you want to raise capital right now as a startup. And there probably has never been as much money from a government grant perspective up for grabs as there is in the current moment between all the different programs that are running around you know, manufacturing, modern manufacturing initiative, um, so $1.3, $1.4 billion worth. I think ARENA has just picked up a, a $1.5, $1.6 billion for funding, um, if you like, renewable energy projects. Um, there, there are all manner of grants around the place. So that's good for people that are getting startups going, for people in existing sort of general scale businesses, you know, like the 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 if you like hospitality businesses, they're doing it really tough. Um, but this is this week in startups, not this week in retail. So, um, yeah, so I, I think um, look, there's better. I don't think there's been a better time in living memory when there was more money in the system than there is right now in Australia and, and globally. Yeah, if I can add all to that, to the human side of things with startups, we're working so differently and remotely. And um, we need to, in essence, the human, the employees are the core of what makes a company successful or not. So it's, it's startups need to really think differently or continue to think about how they're communicating to all their stakeholders, their investors, their employees. And it also means listening. It means listening with curiosity, with with heartfelt um with compassion and seeing how to do things differently. So that human side of things needs is going to change a lot too. Now, Julie, you work a lot with women entrepreneurs, particularly through CEO. We know economically that women have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic because they tend to be in either job classes or work classes that have been disproportionately affected. Are we seeing a similar thing in startup land? Are women on the losing end of some of the uh, changes from the pandemic in terms of entrepreneurship? Yeah. So no doubt the pandemic has hit some businesses hard, but we are seeing a really strong recovery in the in the economy and financial markets. And it creates some great opportunities for startups. And I also would love for, to rephrase that question as more of a promotion question, is yeah. how are women thriving in this? So there have been many opportunities because women, um, the the... <laughs> We've the pandemic and everything has arguably accelerated trends towards greater corporate individual social responsibility, so gender equality, climate change, mental health, and this presents opportunities for women-led businesses, which are more likely to have a social contribution focus. So, with that, this need for more compassion to fix communities, uh, social opportunities, there's a more of a need, and I think a lot of people are waking up to that, so they're going to be focused on that. So, I wanted to just reframe your question about where is there an opportunity. To thrive. Right. And I mean, this is really true because the things that happened even when we were locked down, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement. We now see the Australian March for Justice movement. We see a whole range of social issues that have floated up to the foreground. And there's, it's my very deep sense that also remarks the turning point around the energy transition. 
right, away from fossil fuels and, and toward other sources of energy. So we can see that there's a lot of space in there. There's a lot of opportunity space in there. Now, Mike, one of the things that we can now see, because as Julie pointed out, there's all of this remote working going on, is that essentially every tech startup, but particularly deep tech startups, which have very particular needs for talent, can access global talent pools because it doesn't actually matter whether you're in Australia or not to do the work. Are we seeing that? Are we seeing the deep tech companies that you're talking to start to take advantage of that new access to talent? Look, I, I, here's, the, here's the inside business um, scenario. That was always available to them, but they may not have had the mindset that they felt it was acceptable. So uh, I think a lot more people are now thinking it's more acceptable. Um, and certainly we're seeing in certain classes of businesses where, um, you, you know, you can't get, for example, we, we've got the Morse Micro, the semiconductor company, one kilometre Wi-Fi. You can't find um, semiconductor people in Sydney or Australia that are readily available. And so they're, you know, opening offices in Bangalore or in um, uh, south of LA. And so there are some areas where you just simply can't get the talent. Now, that's sort of balanced off by if it's hardware, it makes it a bit harder to try to get hands-on for remote teams. And so you've got a distribution and logistics problem there. But look, for software people, they've been outsourcing to various countries for a long time. I think a lot of them are. I would say to you that I think certainly the traditional um, companies have been very strong, or countries, should I say, that have been very strong in freelancing, for example, India and places like that. I'm finding they're a lot more expensive than they were two years ago, but still very affordable for, you know, compared to, um, you know, Australian or, um, or the US. So, yeah, there's a bit of a balance there. It was always available, but people now think it might be a way to do it. But there are, so, I mean, outsourcing is a slightly different, you always think of outsourcing as doing the things you don't want to do. <laughs> Whereas uh, when no, we're talking about... No, I think, I think more, you know, um, having a remote contractor, having a remote programmer, having a team remotely um, is becoming, you know, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but a lot of people didn't think it was what they wanted to do. Now they're sort of forced into it. And now they're looking at it and saying, well, you know, does it make sense? Should I have somebody in the US um, time zone? Should I have somebody in European or African time zone? Um, you know, there, I think there's a bit more flexibility in people's minds there now. Uh, Julie, have you seen any companies come through CEO that are now basically just purely virtual, that they never have an office, they never get together? Um, well, I have a CEO. Um, off the top of my head right now, no. Although I, yes, this is, yes. Yes, I have. Um, in digital, for example, they uh, Michaela Jade, who's the founder, she's based out of Canberra, and she has found staff members all over Australia to deliver her programs. Um, and I've seen many of these companies that have expanded. Young Change Agents is another one. I see them growing, which is teaching entrepreneurship to kids. So I have seen women get their act together and just they're, they're committed to a purpose and a goal and they, they make it happen. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia, and we will be right back. Twisted Series 9 is proudly sponsored by Squarespace the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog, publish content, promote your business, 
announce upcoming events and special projects, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. No matter what you need to do online, Squarespace has the answer. They've got beautiful templates by world-class designers, along with powerful e-commerce functionality to help you sell from day one. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. Plus, it has built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. From websites to online stores, from marketing tools to analytics, Squarespace has what you need to succeed online. Go to squarespace.com slash twista for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the code twista to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash twista. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia's first news special of Series 9. We're here with Shio Australia lead Julie Trell and Main Sequence General Partner Mike Nichols. And now I want to go on to a topic that both of you will be very aware of, the new funding models that are emerging. On our last episode, angel investor Jason Calacanis talked about the rise of SPACs. These are special purpose acquisition companies. They're basically a cheap and easy way to take a startup public. You have them acquired by a public shell company, and there you go, which sounds exciting. It sounds terrifying. It sounds dangerous for the ill-prepared startup. Mike, what do we reckon? Do we do that here in Australia? Uh, look, we, we had a similar mechanism in Australia. Um, there's a couple of things, a backdoor listing or a cash box listing. We used to have those concepts. Um, the backdoor still exists. Uh, the backdoor, the cash box listings were, um, what would you say, uh, outlawed in 2015 by the ASX. So we don't really have that option here in Australia. But what I would say to you is there's a very active group of um, merchant bankers sitting in the US and reaching out to Australian players here and looking for looking for deals to take public. And we're seeing lots and lots of these people reach out to us or reach out to our more senior companies with sort of more mature businesses. And there's something like 700 of them that are cashed up at the moment, um, either cashed up or about to be cashed up um, and, and going through the process of going through a SPAC. So there's an awful lot of them. All right, so... If you're looking at this, if someone comes to you from America who's now this cashed up investment banker and they've got some figurehead, which is how Jason often says they work, they get someone who yeah, gets some visibility to yeah. promote this. How do I, as a startup founder, inspect? How do I kick the tires on that SPAC to find out whether it's one that will work well for me and for my business? Uh, look, I mean, look, the reality is if you're in a category where you're interesting to them, you probably have a host of investment bankers around you anyway that you can fall back on. Um, the truth of the matter is this is not a, a, a game for young players, so to speak. It, you, you're going to become a listed public company on the US Stock Exchange in New York and NASDAQ. That is not a simple undertaking, and it's not one that anybody necessarily has the skills for sitting here in Australia unless you've had prior US public company experience. So you're going to have to gear up your company. You're going to have to put the appropriate board on for a US public company. You're going to have to put the appropriate CFO, probably a new CEO, um, and a whole bunch of US people 
You could possibly do it from remotely, um, but you know there's some challenges there. I think so. You're about to become a listed entity in another country, which you may not have a lot of familiarity with. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not for the faint-hearted, I don't think. But having said that, the money is very cheap, um, relatively speaking. You know, people are offering very attractive deals for fairly early-stage companies. And if you're a share, a, a founder um, or on the board of a um, an early-stage company that looks like it's about to keep growing and um, go crazy, it's, it's a serious option to look at it because. You know, the valuations are super attractive and if you think about a listing as just another fundraising mechanism, although obviously it comes with a whole bunch of baggage as well, um, you know, the money is very cheap and it might be a great alternative to doing a series B, C, D, E or whatever in Australia where there isn't a lot of debt for the capital market, relatively speaking. All right. So if we are going to regard SPACs as possible, but but not likely. The other great shining hope pre-pandemic, although it had started to fade, I think, by 2019, was this idea of equity crowdfunding, right? That you could get sophisticated investors together. And even perhaps in certain cases, if ASIC allowed it, non-sophisticated investors, and they could pool money and put it into a startup beyond the 20 that are the limit on the ASIC registry right now. Have either of you seen equity crowdfunding show up on your radar lately, or is it kind? Has it kind of gone comatose? Uh, look, I'm not seeing much. Um, I think the businesses there that are being funded are probably solid businesses, but maybe not massive growth businesses. If that makes sense, um, I think that um, you know it, it seems to have it had a lot of support three or four years ago, but it just doesn't seem to have hit critical mass. And I don't know whether there's the depth of investor support there. A lot of the angel investors could already do deals with companies as um, uh, early stage um, uh, uh, investment company um, registered, if you like, investors. So yeah, it just doesn't seem to have really hit critical mass here, I don't think. Well, so to add to that, I have seen it. Companies like Pledge Me and a lot of the, the these crowdfundings are uh, working with, with social impact businesses, and they are finding success in that. So at a large financial scale on, on that respect. But I do think that there that many people are interested in, in doing it crowdfunding that way. So they have a lot more ownership over how they're going to manage and run their company. All right. So are we saying then that it is still something that's sitting there tantalizingly in our future? Or are we saying that it's probably going to just sort of bubble on at the same rate it has already? I, I'm not seeing any um, upward move. I mean, it, so I think it's been very easy for um, private investors to make money in the markets, public markets, in highly liquid stocks in the last sort of two or three years. Obviously, we had a big dip last year during COVID, but aside from that, everything sort of roared back. And so, you know, what's your choice? Very early stage company um, and be tied up for 10 years or maybe forever. And will you get enough of a portfolio insofar as you might be able to get one really big winner out of it? Or are you going to be suboptimal and have five or 10 deals? And so I don't think many of the investors are thinking about that. They're just looking at the public market saying, oh, yeah, let's go for GameStop or let's go for um, some other easy to grab equity and maybe they're not jumping into this like hopefully they would but yeah 
Well, I'm going to also look at it from another, put on another hat, is it makes it accessible for investors to get really involved with companies to follow. So it's a different way for the investor to, to contribute at a different level. Someone who's not maybe as sophisticated in the sophisticated understanding and learning and growing, you see young kids can follow this. So I do think it's a great educational tool, how to get involved with the markets, but we need to change these systems because a lot of these systems are not set up. The markets and investment and VC funding is not set up for everyone to succeed. I mean, I'll just make a comment there. I don't think VC funding is meant to be for everybody, as in it doesn't, it shouldn't exist for all companies. It's for a very specified sort of group of companies, very high growth, very high, if you like, optionality, the potential for massive growth. Um, And that's not every company. And it's probably fair to say that. And this is exactly where I wanted to go next, which is that we'll have Matt Allen on in a couple of weeks. Matt Allen is one of the frequent guests on this show, a close friend, actually hosted one of the episodes where I was the guest. He's got a new fund called Tractor Ventures. And, you know, his pitch is that the kind of VC you're talking about, Mike, is rocket fuel, right? And if you're, it's explosive, it will take you very far, it could explode. What he's offering you is something that's sturdy and reliable and will get the job done, which is, I guess, sort of a lower range of funding around businesses that are already, have already got sort of enough momentum to keep it going, but don't need to blow up in the same way. What do we both think? Is this now emerging as that kind of middle path model between doing it yourself and going with the rocket fuel? Well, if I can add this new model and new mindset of what CEO is building, it's really, it's very antithetical to a lot of what we're talking here. It's based on radical generosity. So essentially the way it works is women will contribute $1,100 to a fund, which is a zero, will be a zero interest fund that is loaned out to entrepreneurs selected by the women that have contributed. So here's another way of women getting involved in managing their money, a new way of, of getting capital to flow. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot all of these women-led ventures are working on the world's to-do list, also known as the sustainable development goal. So those social impact companies that need funding that can make difference in communities socially. It's not necessarily going to make everyone a bazillionaire. Um, but what it also does, it creates a community of the women who have contributed being having access to it, to learning, to rolling up their sleeves and helping these other companies make a difference. And so this perpetual fund, when daughters and granddaughters are looking to raise funding, they will have access to this pool because it will get paid back year over year. And invariably, the CEO has been going on globally for six years, and there's at least a 98% repayment rate. And if we see as women that a company is struggling, welcome pandemic, Women will roll up their sleeves and make sure that they, that they are not going to fail, that they will have everything at their hands that they need to succeed. And this, of course, was the original goals of microfinance as Muhammad Yunus was doing. It was also something very similar, again, with very, very high rates of repayment. So are we then seeing, it sounds like we're actually getting good enough at this that we're developing multi-track strategies so that any entrepreneur can take a look and say, okay, I need the rocket fuel or, oh, I need a tractor or, oh, I actually need the network you know, with smaller. So is that how we're going to start to think about it when we're giving advice to a startup founder? Are we going to say, well, look, there are many paths here? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a really good point, Mark. There are many paths here and not all the paths are right for everybody. And in fact, I was talking to a great woman founder um, 
about three weeks ago or so now, um, she has bootstrapped a $2 million a year business in the security um, um, industry, um, which I think is just fantastic. And she was sort of saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure about going um, – she we talk about joining entrepreneurs' organisations. She said, I felt like such an imposter. I said, get out of here. Own it. You just build a business that's doing $2 million a year. You don't have to apologise to anybody about that. That's fantastic. It's really hard to get that going. Now, I've got to ask you the question. Do you really want to take on venture capital? Because, you know, that would mean that you're really lining yourself up to say, I'm going to do $100 million a year in five or six years' time. You know, you might find that the $2 million a year with some debt financing um, or some sort of deal that um, Matt Allen might offer you, um, that is actually going to grow you into a $10 million a year business and you're going to have a great life and that's going to be an awesome business and that's going to make you and your family rich for a long time. Or do you want to sign up for the mission to Mars or whatever? Are you going to take on the the, the billion-dollar challenge? Because... There's no, you don't get to grow, you know, in most cases, in those situations, you don't get to own that business for 30 or 40 years. You're on an exit path inside of 10. Whereas somebody like her, she might be owning that and running that business very successfully for, you know, but another 20 or 30 years. And that's going to build a big sort of situation for her and her family. And so, yeah, it's not for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's appropriate that, that we sort of recognise you know, it, it, it puts a whole bunch of demands on you that you may or may not want to take. And if you've already bootstrapped a business to $2 million a year, those things get a certain momentum of their own, which I think is what Matt's going after, actually. I think Matt's going after these sleeper businesses, um, and he's a pretty smart guy. He's going after these sleeper businesses that have got sort of 2 to $10 million worth of revenue. Give them a few tweaks and a little bit more capital all of a sudden they're probably a $20 million a year business or something like that. So, yeah, I think his strategy is good and I think it's great as another option. Mike, I love the conversation that you had with with that founder because, and I think one of you said it earlier, it all depends on, on what kind of entrepreneur and founder that you are. Yeah. So is the network important? Is the capital, is the rocket ship important? Um, what kind of things do you want to measure on your P&L? Some of the things are not measurable on a P&L, like a happy community, happy staff, a good life. So I don't think there's a one size fits all. And that's one thing Absolutely. that I also saw working with a lot of startups, you know, mentor whiplash. Well, she said this, she said that, and, you know, go with your gut. What is right? What is right for you? And where do you want to take it? You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. When we return, we'll journey to the core of Series 9, success. Twista is proudly sponsored by Odoo. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and service providers to use. You want to pick the best solution for each department to help your employees succeed because they deserve the best. But you also want to be frugal and not spend too much. There are so many functions in a startup and each space has endless vendors. Sales tools, email marketing, accounting, HR and payroll, project management, customer support, point of sale, e-commerce. It goes on and on and on. And eventually you'll end up with a Frankenstack of tools that cost a lot and don't integrate properly. 
Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. It's simple and modular, so you use what you need, and all of their apps integrate perfectly with one another. Plus, it's all open source, so you can spend capital on talent instead of expensive software. Take your pick from accounting, project management, invoicing, sales, marketing automation, help desks, timesheets, inventory, and so much more. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's no joke. Take $1,000 off. Go to odoo.com slash twista to check it out. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twista. And we're back with Main Sequence General Partner Rescue Mike Nichols and CEO Country Lead Julie Trell. So in this final segment of our new special, I want to ask both of you, because you've both seen a lot of startups and advised a lot of startups, what have each of you learned in your long experience about what makes for a successful startup? Julie. All right. I'm going to give three things. There's a lot more. Um, so one thing is being resilient, having an open mind and being resilient. When failures come, learn from them, move on and go forward. So and I that also comes from a lot of th this improv training, the applied improvisation. So being resilient, the founders who are successful there, listening. So not just listening and saying, yeah, 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 but listening with curiosity, not trying to speak and give the answer, thinking you're right, but holding space and being delighted, listening to people that are, that are thinking different than you. So that's the other one. And finally, the communication is so, so key. Again, with your customers, with your employees, with your investors, sharing, especially with investors as startups, letting your investors know what's going on, good, bad, and ugly. They invested in you for a reason. Don't hide that stuff. Always go in there and ask for, for help. I get a lot of emails from founders that I've been working with that are asking for, for something, and I might not have the answer right away, but I know someone. And I can help them and I connect them and they let me know how it's going. And they're, if they're struggling, that means I know that they're recognizing that they're, they're struggling and they're being authentic. So being resilient, being able to listen and communicating clearly. Now, let me throw a little spanner in that works, which is that the qualities that also make a good entrepreneur is that they know or they don't listen. They're doing something that's crazy. They're going, and it's I, because you're absolutely right. People need to be high EQ to succeed in a startup. And yet <laughs> the way you got into a startup in the first place, this is the paradox, right? Is that in some sense, you're a little more resistant to other people's opinions. How, how do we find the balance around that? Well, that's different than listening. You can listen and do something else that's mm. different. You still need to listen and say, that doesn't resonate with me. I'm going to do something else because. All right, Mike, what are your secrets to success? Look, I think the commons one was a really great point. I mean, I've seen this many, many times where startups from very, very early days at, say, Incubate, where you and I both spent a bit of time, um, communicate once every month or once every quarter what they're up to. And I still read all those. Um, when they come through the email, I still look at them and think, oh, that's great, they're moving on, this is happening, and so on. 
Uh, but when it comes time to raise capital later on and they've been communicating with you regularly every month or every quarter, geez, the life's so much easier, right? And it's, I could imagine that the email list for them may have 20, 30, 50 people, 100 people on it now. Life gets a hell of a lot easier for them to raise capital because they took everybody along on the journey with them. So I think that's really good. I think um, I think the founders have to be very self-aware and intellectually honest with themselves. And so, you know, for example, somebody will come and say, i forecasting XYZ in sales. Seriously? Are you going to do that? He said, absolutely, I am. It's like, hmm, okay, that's really interesting. We both know that forecast is not true. We just don't know how wrong it is yet. And so, you know, maybe you can get the cost forecast relatively right, but we know the revenue is just not going to be right. Let's just both get on the same page here and agree that this is a hypothesis. We still have to run a bunch of experiments to work out whether that forecast is real or not real yet. And the reality is it's not going to be right. Sometimes, you know, very occasionally I get surprised when people are over forecast, which is awesome, but usually it's, it's not that way, especially in deep tech. These things often take longer and they're much harder. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the communication side, as you said, surely is very important. Um, and I think especially around how do you communicate the, the value of a startup? So are you good, you know, for example, usually what we find is people that are good at raising capital are most likely also good at selling the product itself. If they're not good at either of those things, then they probably don't have a long, you know, sort of lifetime in this industry unfortunately they have to get good at both those things so people that are great at sort of pitching that story and communicating that story those people often go on to get you know success from a um, a sales perspective as well further down the track so i think they have to be very what you say I, I like to sort of say to new founders that i'm i'm talking with I want you to think about this like being the um, uh, Olympics for sales. I want you to commit that you're going to become the best salesperson you possibly can in this industry because your competitors are out there and they're going to be working their butts off to try to beat you. You have to work out how to get your product to market and to beat them. And so you need to take that on board as well as building a fantastic product and a fantastic culture and all the dozens of other things that a great founder has to do you need to work out how to become the winner as far as the sales scenario goes because all that other stuff will fall away unless you get it right. And I have to say, both of you are talking about, I think, EQ and emotional connection and honesty. And I was delighted one of the companies that I had been mentoring over at Stone & Chalk I, was dissolved last year. No. But the founder sent this beautiful, very self-aware, very sort of detailed analysis of his journey and what he had learned. And I know because it went out to basically everyone in this community that all of us will back him again in his next one mm. because we know who he is now. He's revealed himself. And of course, that's always what you're doing. At the end of the day, you're backing a person to be able to learn, to be resilient, to be able to listen, to be able to communicate. And he demonstrated all of those things. All right, <laughs> Julie, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the very first new special for Twista Season 9. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. It's great yeah. to be here, and I hope I make it to 10. I'd yes. love to be invited back for year 10. Let's hope so. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations, Mark. And um, I, I'm very glad to hear the series continues to power ahead, and I look forward to um, the next invite, not too distant future. Thanks so much. We'll be right back.
Hi, Mark Pesci here with a few words about Series 9 sponsor, User Testing. Are you launching a new product? Developing a new prototype? Rolling out a new campaign? User Testing lets you see, hear, and talk to your customers to understand how they experience your brand, your product, and your services. Put yourself in your customer's shoes with real-time video feedback from User Testing. The User Testing Human Insight platform allows you to target your exact audience ask them any question, or give them a task to perform. It's a tech platform that connects brands with their target audiences to get feedback on any experience. Testers get paid $10 for their time. These users aren't doing this to get rich. They're doing it because they really want to help make your products and services better. Watch, listen, and observe their reactions so that you can connect the dots and keep improving. You'll get feedback within hours and strengthen your relationships with your customers. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed business decisions at scale. One thing that very quickly becomes clear when you get into a conversation with people who have mentored startups is the importance that they put on communication skills, but also the emotional quotient, the EQ of being able to connect with people, listening, responding, empathizing, being able to take them on your journey and also being able to go on theirs. And that the more that you get into a startup, the more important those qualities become because you're constantly going to be working with egos and with dreams and with disappointments and with all of the stuff that goes on inside of the pressure cooker that is a startup. Even if you find the virtuous cycle that Jason talked about in our last episode, you still need to be well connected so that that engine is always firing on all cylinders. Because if you don't, you can have the best business plan and the best customers in the world, but the organization itself can be so dysfunctional inside that it won't be able to reach its full potential. Big thanks to Twista sponsors, User Testing, Squarespace, and Odoo. Thanks to our production partners at UTS Startups for their assistance. Thanks to Julie Trell and Mike Nichols for taking some time to come on to our show. And a shout out to Julie's puppy, Hershey. Come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back next week with our first conversation with a successful startup entrepreneur, Ricky Sutton, CEO of OVU, to learn from him what he sees as the key elements in his startup success. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.